Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 is where we're going to land, but we're going to start in Acts 17, verse 15. Just by way of review, uh, we won't uh, belabor the point, but considering the fact that the book of Acts is a like 30-year 30, 30 uh, early church history book, kind of like a chronological what happened in the early church in the first 30 years. So we, we, you go to the book of Acts and you read the book of Acts, it's the story of the New Testament church as it gets started, and these other letters that Paul wrote will fit inside that narrative. Does that make sense? Inside the history of the New Testament church, this spot of Thessalonians, First and Second Thessalonians, Somewhere along that path in the book of Acts is where that book was written. So when I bounce back and forth, uh, you can kill uh, just my monitors. I don't want it to affect the, the live stream, but just pull me down in my monitors. But um, you can uh, map this in Acts where we are in First and Second Thessalonians. So that's kind of what we've been doing. And if you've missed a few of these messages, uh, they're still on Facebook, uh, and then they'll be archived and put on YouTube this week. So go back and catch up, because there's some good stuff that will really fill in the gaps for you a little bit. Um, some of it I'll say again today, but a lot of it, you, there's nothing like going back and hearing and walking through this with us as we walk through this text. But 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 1, we're going to pick up that story in Acts 17, verse 15, and I'm going to give you some context about where Paul is in his mind as he writes this chapter uh, in this letter. And, and I'm telling you, I just can't overstate the importance of this message. There's going to be moments in this message that you're going to want to reject it. You're going to want to, I'm just, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to want to push it out. You're going to want to say, that doesn't taste good. Pastor, can you just, you know, put some sugar in that a little bit and stir it in so that I can drink it? And it's, it's going to be bitter. Uh, and, and that moment's going to happen. And I encourage you, drink of the bitter cup this morning when it comes to you. Don't avoid what this text is going to teach us as we, as we dive in. Acts 17, uh, verse number 15. Paul is now in Athens and is concerned about the work in Thessalonica. So verse 15. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him. When he saw the city, what? Wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews, and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met him. Let's remember, let's, let's not forget that that's the very thing that got him run out of Thessalonica. His custom was to go to a new area, go to a new, a new part where he was uh, planning a gospel work, and he first went to the synagogue. And we talked about that at length in, in previous weeks, but it was, it was really a pattern set by Jesus, going unto his own, going into the synagogue, a place where preaching and teaching was happening and, and beginning there. And some of them would believe, but then a lot of them would not. And then he would turn to the Gentiles, Jews first, then to the Gentiles. And then as the Gentiles would believe and, and, and it would grow, the persecution from the Jews and their jealousy would come upon uh, that work that Paul was doing. And then he was pushed out of Thessalonica, right? So where we're reading in chapter 3, we understand that Paul was only in Thessalonica two to three months max. He's, he's riding back to this church plant, riding back to these young disciples in the faith because he's concerned about their spiritual growth. And now 
we see as he has moved on, left Thessalonica on his second missionary journey in Europe, and, and he's now still pursuing that synagogue, pursuing the, uh, uh, th- those conversations there, and then they're still running him off into the, the next community and the next place, right? He's dealing with these problems all over again, but he's here in Athens. Disputing with them, verse 18, then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to, to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Arapagus, saying, may we know what is this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? For, for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, uh, what, the, what these things mean for all the Athenians and strangers which were, uh, which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear of something what? Some new thing, right? They, oh, this is new? Oh, this is a, this is a new one? Uh, one I haven't heard yet? Bring it on, right? Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in the things that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by, I beheld your devotion. I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. <laughs> him de- I love the way he said that. Him declare I unto you. The God that you don't know is the one that you need to know. You got an- <laughs> That's a whole different message. All the, all the gods you're covering. I just feel really loud up here. I'm sorry to keep picking on you, but it, you can pretty much kill it up here. Uh, the, the, the God that you, you have literally idols to all the other gods in the universe, except the one you need to have an, an idol or a, an image for. How about Yahweh, the one and only true God, right? So, but anyway, different message, different time. The point is, is that Paul is in Athens. He's in, that's great. Paul is in Athens. He is engaging in the same ministry that he was engaging in at Thessalonica, and this is the point in the story that we have in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. So let's, let's parse this out a little bit, dig in a little deeper. Verse 15, it says, And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come with him all speed, they, they departed. Okay, uh, Galatians 4.15, let me just give you a, a little uh, mat theology here, something that I think, something that I perceive here, reading Paul. Galatians 4.15, where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and had given them unto me. Go to verse number 1, chapter 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 1. Wherefore, in our text, 1 Thessalonians 3, I know I'm moving quick, I have a reason. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse number 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens. What's the next word? Alone. 1 Thessalonians 3, Acts chapter 17. Paul says in Acts 17, his ministry, when he arrives at Athens, he's digging in. But 1 Thessalonians 3, we find that there comes a point when Paul is doing ministry work in Athens that he feels the need to be left alone. He feels the need to send them on for other reasons because he's concerned about some things with that church plant that he put there because he only ministered to them for two to three months. The, the verse in Galatians, we find that Paul is writing to them saying, look, if you could have given me anything, you would have given me this one thing. You would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Here's what I'm saying. I'm thinking that 
Paul, he had a thorn in his flesh, right? We know it buffeted his body. Paul had an issue, a health issue over and over that he dealt with. In this other letter, uh, Galatians, the first one he writes, he says, look, if you, would have been able to, if you would have been able to give me your eyes, you would have done it. Can anybody kind of guess what we think his health problem might have been that he had? He couldn't see. He couldn't see. Paul, literally, as we approach 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, we find that wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, I couldn't take it anymore. I thought it to be good to be left in Athens alone. What would it do a blind man to be left alone in a city? He was consumed. My point is, is as we kick off chapter 3 of this text, Paul made a massive sacrifice for a specific reason. Does anybody want to know? What would cause a man that knows that the Lord has, the Lord could take away his blindness, but he chose not to. The Lord gave him suffering and chose to allow him to endure that and did not heal him. Many would have said, well, what, look what Paul did with his eyesight. I'm sorry, look what Paul did without his eyesight. What could he have done with his eyesight? But that's not our God and that's not the gospel. He uses the foolish to confound the wise. The gospel is always an upside down narrative. It's always a whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall what? Find it. We will never see in this world something that the gospel will make sense of or logically come into a narrative to the rest of the world. It doesn't. Paul literally embraces his blindness for the sake of the church that we're about to read in. Can you imagine? Knowing that you cannot see, and many believe that that's why, number one, a physician traveling with him often because of the beatings he was taking, right? The, the trials that he was enduring, but also the fact that he needed someone. Remember he wrote that book of Philemon and it was really short because he was like trying to see but he reaches this place where he's like, go. They need you more than I do, and I literally can't even see. Man, must have been important, huh? There must have been something crucial in this moment, in this life of this church that couldn't wait for Paul to be left alone. How many are intrigued? Anybody? Well, why, would Paul, why would Paul do that? Thank you for asking. Here we go. Let's talk about it. Verse number one. We've reached this point. Paul puts the needs of the gospel work before his own. How does he get there? I think that's a question that deserves begging to be asked. How does Paul get to the place where he's willing to put the gospel in front of his own personal needs? Well, let me ask. Has anybody struggled with that? Let's be real. Well, I'm... <laughs> I'll, I'll give to the church. I'll help that person. And we kind of talked about it in small group Wednesday. It's like that fine line of helping someone. It's really easy to help out of our abundance. But it's difficult to help someone out of our needs. And we're reaching a point as a ministry where we're trying to do massive big things. And what we're doing is calling people to give what the Lord's laid on their heart. And, and I'm promising, like, and I'm not just saying money. Don't think just financial. We need people. Like, we need people to serve and, and get involved, right? But the problem is, is the, 
the American church is conditioned to give out of their abundance. Even so much so that we have movements of theology that preach that, oh, God will just give it to you. Well, what if God doesn't give it to you? What if God doesn't correct your eyesight and asks you to go about your business blind? Are you okay with that? Paul had reached a place where he was okay with it. And as a pastor, I'm just, I'm just saying, hey, we should be called to this place where we are willing to do whatever is necessary for the gospel and not ourselves. And I understand that God uses our needs to direct our path, but at some point could our privilege as Americans get in the way of our gospel work? Just let that thought sink in a little bit. Let's continue here. Paul gets to this place. Paul saw it as, saw it as a need to walk them through this phase of their discipleship. What was Paul so worried about? What couldn't wait? What left him alone? One word, suffering. Suffering. The one word that drove Paul to send his own eyes away was the fact that he knew that that young church had finally reached the stage in their Christian, Christian walk where they would engage in suffering, and he was concerned. Do you remember that place in your walk? This isn't going to be this bombastic backflip kind of message. This is going to be more of like this. Do you remember that place in your walk with Jesus when the lights faded a little bit? When you were left with yourself? When his spirit was there, but you could tell that you still had to endure the problems that you had the day before and that they just didn't disappear because you were a Jesus follower? Maybe it was a moment that someone had lied to you or someone had told you that if you come to church, everything just goes better for you. And maybe someone gave you some false hope. But at that moment, you realize that you know the Lord's real. You know that he's leading you in your life, but you're still going through hard times. What do we do with that? You still deal with sickness. You still lost that loved one. You still have hardcore anxiety. You still feel distrust. You still feel betrayed. It didn't change, but you're saved. And at that pivotal moment, most Americans choose to fake it. Most Americans choose to say, oh, this is great. Here's, here's my happiness. Can I just tape a picture inside this so that no one sees that I'm really miserable inside here? <laughs> but if we were to all have the, the mask removed and we were to be seen for what we really are in our faith, at what phase in our discipleship are we with Jesus? Have we accepted the suffering that he has placed upon us that we are walking through? Or are we just faking it? You're still just waiting for him to take it. You're still just trusting that things are going to get better. What if they don't? What if what he's called you to is something that he actually has crafted just for you? This is not popular. It's not a popular message. In fact, I really would rather preach something else. Let me try another one. Let's take your Bibles and turn. No, I'm kidding. It's not. It's not a popular message, but it's needed, and it's what we're going to see here in the text. Go to verse number three. I'm, I'm, 
This is just unreal to me. Verse number three. Wait, before I go, let, let's just read one, two, and three. Wherefore we could no longer, verse one, forbear. We thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your what? Faith. I got, I got my right-hand guy. I got my, my youngster, if you will, and I promise you, he's a fellow laborer. Paul's like building him up. Paul's saying, look, I, I just hired this young guy. How fitting. <laughs> anyway, uh, and it's, it's, it's really good. He's a good guy. He's got the right intentions. He has the right heart, and I promise you, he's gonna minister to your faith. Look at verse three. That no man, this is what I'm concerned about, that no man should be removed by these, what's the next word? Affliction. For yourselves know, this, this is disruptive. What I'm about to read is extremely disruptive. For yourselves know that we are, what's the next word? Appointed thereunto. That word appointed in verse three, it means to lie. Let me just give you an illustration, a graphic illustration of what this is. Paul said, I'm concerned about the afflictions that you are appointed to. The afflictions, does everybody know what that word means? The sufferings. I'm concerned because your church is about to go through some stuff. And, and I know that you're going to go through it because you've been what? Appointed to it. Watch this, that word means to lie. It's the same in the Greek, it means a baby lying or a dead person lying. Like this, when, when we first had Rainy, what was she like? Five pounds, two ounces or something? Five pounds, nine ounces. I was a little off. <laughs> I still care about you, Rainy. You'll watch this video later when you're older. No, I'm kidding. Five pounds, nine ounces. That's a small little baby. I mean, it just seemed, I mean, I could just like cup her. You know what I mean? You have that newborn baby in your hand and you could just, especially two hands. I didn't need two hands till she was like, I don't know, three. Just kidding. <laughs> but she was little. And you take that little baby and you put them on the diaper changing table. Just seems like they spend a lot of time there, you know what I mean? And when they're there, what happens? They're like, there's just something about the way a baby moves, you know what I mean? If I could lay down and put my feet with it too, it would make more sense. But it's just there, there's no control, right? They're just like feeling it out, whatever happens. Like someone's got their hands like a puppet. That's right, Beans. She's like, move along, Pastor Matt, we get it. You put a baby on the diaper changing table and what good does it do to say to a baby, hey, I know you're hungry. I know you're crying. If, if you wanna get fed, mama's downstairs. Go get it. One day an arm will be good to them, but is an arm good to them right then and there? All they can do is lie. They've been appointed to that table and they have to endure it. And no part of them can remove them from that situation until someone else does something about it. That is what Paul was concerned about. Paul said, you have been appointed, you have been laid in suffering and you have no control over it. It's time we start viewing the trials and the testings and the sufferings that we go through as a church as something that we have been appointed to. 
laid into. As a dead man doesn't choose his own grave, he's simply lowered there, and he what? That's his remains. He remains there. There's no choice in the matter for him. The graphic imagery of this word coming to us is that we are appointed, we are laid in the suffering, and we can't do anything about it. Mm. Let's go a little deeper. Matthew chapter 7, verse 14. Because straight is the gate, what's the next word? And I think often we think of this imagery like broad is the way that leads to destruction. There's all these people going on this big path, but narrow. It's like this, it's like this little gate that nobody knows about, right? That's the, the straight, narrow gate. You open that. Few there be that find it. Few there be that go that way. Straight, narrow is the way, which leadeth unto what? Life. Would you know that that word appointed, narrow, that word suffering, they all connect. This word uh, suffering or affliction, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, we could also say that no man be moved by these narrowings. This word, because straight is the gate, And narrow is the way. That word narrow means closing in. Watch this. It means pressing in. Narrow is the way which leads unto life. Paul said you have been put in a place, you have been laid in a place where you have to endure something that is pressure, something that will press into you, that will flow out of you because you were pressured. I think of the wine press. How many images in the New Testament do we have of wine and in remembrance, and this cup that I pass to you that I give, it's, it's the cup of my blood. We find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's an oil what? Press. Sweat drops of blood are coming from him because Jesus is under great what? Pressure. Could it be that straight is the gate? It's not about a way. It's about where we are placed and the pressure that we are under. The lack of pressure is the broad. The lack of pressure, I'm really loud. The lack of pressure is a place where you are put and you just go with the flow. If life is is what you have here, it's we avoid pressure. We run from it. We live our lives to soothe ourselves, to be comfortable, to be in a place where we've achieved if this life is all we have. If this life is all we have, we make a way of comfort for our children. We make a way of retirement for ourselves. But, but the straight, the narrow, the way of pressure is a place where we are appointed to, that we go into, and the outflowing of us being pressed is the grace of God. But that, the understanding, this is a next level understanding of the gospel. By his stripes we are healed by his sufferings we are in a place where we receive we drink of a cup that was produced by the pressure that the savior was under paul said i'm concerned at this point in your church's discipleship here's why because of the suffering that you're about to walk through i was preparing this message last night and just fine tuning and reading the lord's taking me different places Seems like Saturday night, I often just 
sneak on down to the basement after we put the kids to bed. And I read over my notes and the things that, you know, where I'm going. Sometimes it's changed. Sometimes it's this or that. And I'm meditating on this message. And the Lord brings the song, the new wine, Hillsong. And I play that song and I'm just sitting there and I feel like the Lord's pressing on me last night. And I feel, and the pressing, the Lord's bringing what? New wine out of me. It's okay. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> we needed some comic relief. This is some serious stuff. But I sat there on my couch last night and I thought like, Lord, Lord, I feel that narrow is the way. Maybe we should think of it more like splunking or something. Going through a cave, right, where you're forced to go through places that your fear, that yea, though I walk through the what? Valley of the shadow of death. We have to consider the fact that the gospel looks different than the way some of us have envisioned it. Some of us have, haven't put this thought into perspective that the Lord wants us in a place where we are pressured. If we're to be Christ-like, look at the life of Jesus. If it's truly about simply Jesus, then it's about simply pressure. I don't want pressure. It gives me anxiety. <laughs> I get it. But it's necessary and more than necessary. So here's the thing. Remember, remember this. This is as if you were what? You were appointed, so you're what? Laid in it. So here, maybe the, accepting the gospel is so much more than we thought. It's so much more. It's literally saying, Lord, appoint me to your suffering. That's why he said, pick up your what? Your cross and follow me. We missed something along the way, didn't we? You're all like, abort, see ya. <laughs> I don't want to come to church anymore. I promise you, <laughs> what will come from the Lord's pressure on your life is a beautiful substance of grace. Is a beautiful substance of mercy. Let's take right where you are, keep the snapshot in your mind, wherever you are, let's walk through this text and see how Paul deals with it, okay? They were appointed. This is a narrow way. The pressing of the grapes, it's to suffer. The pressing is producing something. Let me ask you this question. Stay with me. When was the last time we were pressured to produce something for the Lord? This isn't a perspective of production like you think. Remember, you're a what? You're a baby laying. You're a dead man laying. You've been appointed to something that the Lord is going to do. You have to have the Lord moving you. When was the last time you were okay with this? Here's the problem. We as babies, sometimes we choose a different caretaker. Sometimes we choose a different caretaker. Every, everything that the Lord is trying to do, you see here the enemy's tactics. Look at it right here in verse number, mm -hmm, if I can find it. Uh, let's keep reading. Verse number four. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we would suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. For this cause we can no longer forbear. I sent to know your faith. I want to know where you are in this. 
lest by some means, there it is, you ready? Verse number five, the tempter have what? Uh huh. Say it with me, the tempter have what? Tempted you, say it again, tempted you. Turn to your neighbor and say, tempted you. All right, you ready? And our labor be in empty. At some point, you've been placed and appointed for this suffering, this pressure. And the tempter can come along and tempt you, and everything that we've done for you doesn't mean anything. It's like, I love The Matrix, right? What a great movie. The guy, when he chooses to go back into The Matrix, I just don't want to know. I just want to eat a steak again. And he betrays his team, but ultimately, what he was living was a life that was fake. He didn't want to understand the real world behind it. What a, like, that concept is perfect for this message. People that are living their lives without Jesus are literally living in condemnation. They're living fake lives. Pastor Matt, you just think people aren't like real that aren't in Jesus? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like they don't understand, but they're twofold a child of wrath. Satan is, he owns them. Do we truly believe that, <laughs> that salvation actually does something? This is like the mechanic behind it. If you don't share the gospel, if you don't tell someone about Jesus, if you don't love them to a place where they are, where they repent and change and turn to the Lord, where's that person's fate? It's, it's what? It's hell. People who die in their sin, people who have not been appointed to the righteousness of God, guess what? They die and pay for their own sin debt off. So th- of course the devil, of course the devil is gonna distract. Hey, look, this life is for you to live however makes you the happiest. Whatever you can do to, to make it easier, more comfortable, what can I do for you? Would you like that? Maybe, maybe your caretaker is blessing you with things. <laughs> what was that other one? Uh, Wally, right? Where they have no, everything's like, they have no legs or whatever. Anyway. They don't use them, right? I'm trying to get you to understand that people who don't know the Lord, people who are accepting that different way, suffering does not make sense to them. You know, some of you are running from this idea. You're running from the idea of hard times. But it's the one thing that brings clarity to the gospel. The one thing. You see everyone else on the face of the planet that this life is it. Every, everything that you see here, this is, this is it. This is it. So, so you, you have the best job that you could ever have. You, you literally give your kids everything that you can because everything is, is literally this is it, what you see. Our, our three score and 10 here on this earth, our seven years or whatever, maybe we live to 100. This is it. This is all you got. So therefore, when you enter into a health issue, when you enter into a struggle, when you enter into anything that reverses the order of you having everything that you want, it makes no sense. They lose control. Why would this happen? Because this life is what? Is it. But for a Christian, this life is not it. This life is the life that leads to everlasting life. This life is the life that we say, oh, you want me to endure for a season? You want me to endure that 
have struggle. You want to appoint me to suffering so that I can be pressed out so that other people can see me accept it? They see my faith. They see me trust. They see me believe in the worst of moments of life. I'll do it. I'll be appointed to that. Okay. It's not the prosperity gospel is killing this nation. It is how we deal with suffering that people see Jesus in us. I hope I'm making sense. I'm trying to articulate. But here's the thought. The enemy's tactic here is to tempt you when that suffering comes. Paul was so concerned. He said, I got to send Timothy. I got to get him back here. I'll go blind. I'll go without my eyes. I'll do whatever I got to do because I know that at this point, the appointed time, you're going to walk through some hard times, and that's when Satan is going to come and suggest an easy way out. Christian, don't let him take you and move you from the affliction to something soft. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. No pressure is the way that leads to hell. Pressure, pressing us understanding what we've accepted in the cross of Christ is what leads to life. You have been sent into testing over and over again, and some of you continue to accept the temptations from the devil to get out of it. The same lost person you're continuing to be mean to. The same health problem you're continuing to tell all of your lost friends that you just don't get it and it's not fair. God is like, I'm pressing you. This affliction is something that you should have seen my son endure. By his stripes, you're healed. I'm bringing context to your life. I'm bringing understanding. And Paul says, Timothy, get there. Timothy, I'm entrusting their faith in you. They're not going to understand it. It's, it's a tier three. It's a, it's a weighty topic for us to walk through suffering and not run to the devil's temptations. It's weighty. That's this moment. So the enemy's tactic, Jesus is trying to empty us through pressure, and Satan is trying to fill us with temptation. As Jesus presses on you with suffering, narrow is the way. Pressure is the way. This life is not supposed to be easy. You're supposed to endure hardness as a good soldier. And so as you're being pressured, you're growing in your faith. As you're being pressured, the love of Christ is flowing out of you so that his spirit can fill you. But wait, but wait. the devil comes and he suggests, how about I fill you with something else? What, what are you allowing your soul to be filled with? What are you allowing your soul to be filled with? Jesus is pressing out of you, and you're just like, I'm so mad. I can't believe. I give the Lord my life, and look what I'm walking through. God in heaven is like, let me press a little more. As soon as I press, what's supposed to flow out, love should fill. But all I'm sensing is anger. I press a little more and you think that you can handle it. That's, the, it's like a stubborn baby. Just let me change the diaper, everything will be okay. Look, when we get to this toddler stage, mommy and daddy know what's best, okay? It's so simple, isn't it? 
Kids that have no pressure in life, kids that are given everything, they're the worst. They're rotten. Can we identify that? That's one small example of what I'm talking about. Christians that think God should give them everything and make their way no pressure, it's the worst. It's like, as a pastor, I'm like, oh my goodness. Let's go on a missions trip, and I'll show you what it's like to walk through pressure and let the love of God flow, flow from you. That's half the issue right there. People, Americans need to go on missions trips. Look, look at me. Jesus is pressing you. You've decided to go down this narrow, this path of pressure. And the devil waits for that moment. And as you're being pressed on, he suggests another way. Some of you need to confront that right now. You've allowed him to soothe you with things that you're just avoiding the pressure that God is bringing into your life. And it's not okay. Suffering will remove the elements of our spirit that foster and grow the fruits of the flesh. Suffering will remove the elements in your spirit that foster the works of the flesh, the anger, the immorality, the sin, the propensity to walk out on your spouse, the propensity of like we talk, and we're gonna talk about, wait till next chapter. Paul lays the groundwork here in chapter three for the pressure because he's gonna tell you what holy living looks like in the next chapter. That's next week. It's, and it's on. But listen to me. Look at me. Look up in here. Suffering is the pressure to push out, but instead we get bitter. Let the hard times come. Let the hard times produce pressure in your life. Let the anger go. Let the bitterness go. Let the, Lord, let the Lord press those things. Listen, if you believe that you were a sinner and rotten and deserving of a devil's hell, coming into this thing, you don't think you need to go through some pressure? You don't think you need to go through a process of changing, of purification? Well, Jesus did that, absolutely, but that doesn't let your sanctification off the hook. You still gotta walk through it. Okay, hurry, flip the switch. <laughs> I'm ready. Come back now. <laughs> no. It's not a switch that gets flipped in sanctification. In justification, sure. You're declared righteous. The Lord pays your death. You're going to heaven. Now get to it. Put yourself in the place. Appointed pressure, suffering, walking through. <laughs> suffering will remove. Chapter 2, verse 18, look at this. Look at the previous chapter. I found, I found this so interesting. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once again. But what does it say? Satan. That's a moment in the text, and we talked about it last week, that Satan didn't allow Paul to return. But ultimately, in chapter 3, who gets back to him? Timothy does. Look at the next verse in chapter 3. Uh, yeah, see if it's the next one in there. I think it's in there. Now God himself and our Father... And the Lord Jesus Christ, what does it say? Direct our way unto you. In those moments where Satan is tempting and he's coming, know that you don't have to take it. In chapter 2, Satan is hindering, but just wait until chapter 3. The Lord is directing a path. Don't, don't take the easy way out. 
Just because you're being hindered in chapter two, just because you've been placed in something that you don't enjoy and you don't love and it's miserable, it's okay. Endure it. Remember the book of James. It's all about endurance. God will make a way. God will direct a path in chapter three. He's not gonna leave you alone. What he's gonna give you through his pressure is gonna build something that is pure gold, not fool's gold, not what the devil is offering you. He's offering you nothing. Think about that. I, I, I think about this. Luke 4, 2, being 40 days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing. And when, when they were ended, he afterwards, what, hungered. Jesus himself went 40 days without food, and the devil was saying, here, eat this, take that. If Jesus himself was walking through temptation, what makes us think we're exempt from temptation? When we get into this thing of pressure, you better believe the devil's going to be right there the whole time. Take this. Have that. Oh, that didn't work? Let's try this one. He goes back to his mainframe computer and sends you another one. Oh, that didn't? Let's try. It's, it, it's happening. Satan hinders. He tempts. He goes for you, but the Lord makes a way out, always, a way of escape. Two questions. How do you know if you're being emptied and filled with the right things? When ultimately this thing comes to a head, you've been appointed to suffering, you're walking through the hard things, the pressing, like wine, is making, you're taking grapes and you're making new wine. The Lord's taking you and he is working you over and that process is difficult, but how do you know if you're being filled with the spirit and not filled with the things of the flesh. How do you know that as the Lord is pressuring you in this appointed suffering that life is gonna lead you to in your Christian life, how do you know if you're being filled with the spirit and not the temptations of the devil? Does somebody wanna know? Does somebody need an indicator in their life to know if you're handling the suffering the right way? Anybody want that? You want it? Okay, I'll give it to you, you ready? Look at verse 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in what? Love one toward another. And toward all men, even as we do, what? Toward you. This next verse is beautiful. To the end may establish your heart, unblameable in holiness before God, even the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with his saints. How do you know if you are being emptied and filled with the right things? You're increasing in love toward one another and toward all men. That's how you know. How, how do you know if the pressure's working? How do I know if it's not literally gonna kill me? I just don't think I can stand any more pressure. I feel like I'm in a doggone sauna. This is killing me, but I just want some relief. I just want, God said you're missing it. You're looking for relief, but it should be allowing you to love. The suffering, the pressure, the, the cooker that we're in, what comes out of that is the grace of God that allows us to love people. You see, remember we talked about the average person that doesn't have Jesus that is just after like literally all good things in this world. And you find that those are the people that bless people out of their abundance. I'll give, I'll give, I'm so giving. But when challenged and when put through a hardship, they're stingy. They hold on to, they don't know what generosity is. Because you don't know what generosity is until the Lord puts you in the pressure cooker and what you have has been, it's literally now flowing out of you. I have no control over what I have. I'm literally at a place where I am going through 
some of the worst things in my life, but all I can do is love those that are around me. All I can do is thank God for his grace. All I can do is say, Lord, I know you're with me. Lord, I know you see me. Lord, I know that it is enough for me. It's just love. Paul is saying, if you will not accept the temptation of the devil, and if you'll just stay in the place that you've been appointed, you'll know if you're being filled with my spirit by the way you're loving those around you. The greatest gift your suffering will give you is an ability to love those around you. When you can tell someone that you love them and you're not looking for anything in return and you know that they can't give it to you because it's all been taken from you, that's love. (laughs) We know cheap love. We know postured love. We know friendships that you know, we've, able, we've been able to craft, but love that comes from suffering, love that comes from real life, to all men, for all people, including your enemies, is when you really know that it's working. The pressure cooker is, is doing its job. The spaghetti's almost done. Who's had spaghetti in the Instant Pot? Come on now, can I get a witness? I love spaghetti, but spaghetti in the Instant Pot's good. Keeps all them juices in there. Listen, I think we want spaghetti today. What do you think? What's the point of all this? What's the point? You say, Pastor Matt, I picked the wrong day to log on to the live. I picked the wrong day to come to church. I don't want to hear about things going bad. I don't want to hear about being appointed to nothing except like a lawn chair, maybe summertime. All these pumpkin spice lattes got me feeling nauseous. I just take me to Costa Rica or the Caribbean or something. I'm done with this. It's about to be cold, winter, we still got the COVID, uh. and I'm like, yeah, just lay in the suffering. Great message for church, Pastor Matt, wonderful, great. I'm not sharing that one. Please, please like and share this post. God bless you, I love you. What's the point of all this? The point of all this is the last verse, look at it. It says, verse 13, to end, to the end, he may establish your heart. The re- <laughs> rendered constant in your faith, heart, belief, blameless in holiness till Jesus come back. Without the pressure, we don't know if you're real. Without the resistance, we don't know if this is anything that, if this was all warm and fuzzy, it's fake. But when pressure comes, and your heart is now more resolute, and your love flows to everyone and not just the people around you that are doing things for you, guess what we know? This is real. This is real. The Lord, without sending his only begotten son, think about that. The gospel picture says it all. Suffering is a tool to empty our spirits and fill us with the Holy Spirit. Suffering is a tool to empty our spirits and fill us with the Holy Spirit. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Chelsea, you want to come up and just play at the piano? How do you know if you're being emptied and filled with the right things? Increasing in love toward one another. I don't, I don't think I need to talk anymore about your suffering. Let me just ask you, are you handling it okay? Listen, I get it. We're all human beings. We all struggle with our sin nature still. 
But what's the point? Well, the point is, is that we're real, we're steadfast. We, we are unmoved in the holiness of God. We, we are Christians, we have faith, we are resolute. We walk through hard times and we let our faith stand strong. If that's the point, how many of you have been refusing something that you need to accept? The point from last week has been expounded on in chapter three. How many just know that you need to look at your suffering in your life a different way? Show the Lord. I need to look at it a different way, Lord. How many of you, you say, Pastor Matt, I've been placed in this. I've been appointed to this hard time and I'm really struggling with it. Just show the Lord your hand. Say, Lord, I'm struggling with the hard time that you've put me in. Be honest with him. There we go. That's the first step. Be honest with him. It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's the kisses of the enemy. The devil comes along and suggests that there's something better. Listen, it's, it's the same as your sin. It brings forth death. That's a plan. That's an easy way out that does not, it doesn't work. We're literally about to partake of the cup. We're going to partake of something because of the pressure of the Son of God. It's a picture of what his suffering birthed in us in the gospel. 